Barbecue's our passion, and that's just what you'll get where the Kim Burns is a barbecuer. Tales from the pits. Howdy, welcome to another episode of Tales from the Pits, and we are here in Charleston, South Carolina. And that was Brian, and, and this are, is Andrew. <laughs> and we are here with? Uh, John Lewis, I'm the owner of Lewis Barbecue in Charleston, South Carolina. And I'm Philip Powers, I'm the CDC at Lewis Barbecue. Well, great to have you guys on. Um, John, obviously you've got a long history in barbecue and Texas barbecue, and now you've been in Charleston for the last uh, three years now. Um, huge, beautiful building, successful restaurant, and you've you've been a pioneer in modern Texas barbecue um, for over 10 years now. Uh, talk to a little bit to us about kind of how you got started, your competition background, and what, what were some of your influences in barbecue? Um, I guess I, I grew up in El Paso, Texas, and I moved to Austin when I was 18, and that was really my first experience with what I guess we would all call what Texas barbecue is, Central Texas barbecue. I was used to more grilled stuff, mesquite, really, really heavy smoke, uh, dried out, <laughs> beef back ribs kind of thing with lots of uh, like Cattleman's barbecue sauce smothered on it. Yeah, it was what were you eating in, in Austin at the time? In Austin, um, my favorites I remember when I was first getting there was um, Smitty's or whatever that was called. I guess this was 1997, so whatever that right, was. Right, before it's so yeah, yeah. It was so crazy. Back then, um, Salt Lick. I still like Salt Lick's barbecue sauce. I think that's my most favorite barbecue sauce in the world. Yep, it's a classic. I've tried to uh, recreate it a ton of times. I can't quite ever get it, though. <laughs> you can get close, but not quite. Um, and that Luling City Market, very similar barbecue sauce, too, the Salt Lick. Yeah, I love, you taste that, them side love by that side. mustard, yeah. yeah. Mustard Thousand Island dressing sort of weird combo that works really well, and, and of course the Luling sausage is one of and the And of course uh, uh, Louis Mueller's in Taylor. Those are kind of the only. I think those were most of the places I knew back then. Um, and so I was I, I was cooking. I was doing a baker, pastries, and stuff like that for a long time. Um, very interested in cooking and so I was trying to recreate the stuff that I was eating when I first got there in my backyard and then <clears throat> I moved up to Denver Colorado I think I was around like 2006 maybe and I was there for about three years and I started really missing the barbecue that I ate just for you know pleasure um, when I was up there there wasn't I know it's probably a little bit different now but back then there was very few barbecue joints and what was there was uh, either a chain place. I think, um, oh, what was it called? I forget what it was, but that was the best that was there. <laughs> and I would eat it because I was craving it and I'd just be eating it and be just so bis disappointed about it. So I just started making it for myself to eat. And uh, I didn't have a barbecue pit. And so I was trying to make a barbecue pit. I didn't want a Weber Smoky Mountain or anything you could really buy because I knew that it wouldn't work and so I started finding things and making barbecue pits out of them. Some of them were, and this was just so I could have barbecue to eat because I was really missing it. Um, 
there were some failures in there. There was a refrigerator smoker <laughs> that I thought I lined well enough with a heat resistant thing on the inside, and then I took a bite of a rib off of there. I was like, oh man, this tastes like poison. Like oh, the gosh. heat had done <laughs> infused it with plastic somehow. And some of those and, um, and water heater, water heater pits, yeah. those were, were old school. Yeah. yeah. Um, kind of had a breakthrough with a pair of trash cans that I made a smoker out of, and I, Philip will back me up on this because we actually. I forget what, who we did it for. Lucky Peach or something like that. How to like make a cheap smoker. Hmm. And it's not like uh, your normal. What was that? The ones one one trash can smoker that you've seen. Um, well, there's ugly drum smoker, which no, no, a trash can, like a trash can. Oh gosh! But we did a double stack one, so you have to get, use a ladder on it to use it. But I think with, with galvanized say, metal. Um, it never gets hot enough for anything to happen in there, gotcha. and the coals are our design. And my design was um, there's a coal basket and it, it never hmm. nothing ever touches the galvanized in there. Wow! But um, I think that makes still to this day that was the best record ribs best I think we've done rack <laughs> of ribs <laughs> I've ever had come off that that kind of cooker. Wow! Um, you can only make two at a time though. So <laughs> it doesn't work for restaurants. That would be purposes. a lot of um, trash can pits to have out here. <laughs> So, so it sounds like you, you've always had sort of a, a scientific approach to, to cooking and, and building pits, and I, I guess that led you into doing it from a commercial standpoint. And I, I understand you've you've built pretty much every pit you've you've worked on. Is that correct? Um, yeah. When I was 18, my parents gave me a new Bromfels smoker that I played around with for one summer. Um, it was really hard to work that thing. To, keep a fire going and stuff and I had never done it professionally either so um, my only fire management was from the Boy Scouts <laughs> and being on the backpacking trips so I was doing that stuff in Denver and then you start making big pieces of meat and I started inviting people over that I worked with and friends and the party started getting bigger and bigger and um, people were telling me that, that was great which of course your friends are always going to say but especially up there in Denver where they didn't have any idea of what like Central Texas barbecue was Someone said you should try doing competition barbecue, and I didn't know that was a thing that even existed. And so I signed up for one, got a call at the first one, and kind of got hooked on that for a little bit. Um, it was a big learning curve, though, because that's a totally different type of barbecue. Right. It's, a, it's, a, it's a skill, and we, we respect the skill, but I the, think the food is such a, a different thing. Yeah. And I don't know if the food is just a different game. I think it's disgusting. Like, I mean, they say, oh, it's got so much more flavor, and that's what it is. And I, I think it's absolutely horrible. It, it's kind of yeah. become perverse recently, especially with all the publicity and TV shows. And so you have mm -hmm. the Wagyu, and you just have so much more now that Not everybody's that, pushing the edge. Injecting stuff with chemicals yeah. and yeah. way more sugar and salt than yeah, anyone full should. Of honey and parquet and all sorts yes, of crazy yeah. stuff. And, but, you know, that's and what it's more of a in. contest, I think, about it doesn't even matter how you cook the meat. Or what the meat is like that's underneath all the crap that you put in it or on it 10 minutes right before you turn it in right yeah because that's really all they um, taste at the end of the day is the bomb of flavor you put on top of it it's it's a goofy thing and keeping it trying to keep it moist out out and exposed in the air yeah, that's yeah the we've done a few of them and decided they weren't for us pretty quickly <laughs> too because it's, it's a lot of work a lot of money for something you don't ever want to eat yourself so tell us a little bit about your background sure yeah um I started out professionally cooking in uh, D.C. I was an apprentice at the Army-Navy Club, so lots of beef, uh, grilling beef, you know, prime, prime rib roast. 
uh, did that about a year and then moved on to uh, a restaurant with uh, Robert Wiedemeyer. I worked for him about a year and then decided to take it a little further and went up to CIA in upstate New York, did a two-year degree at culinary school and worked for a couple of years in Manhattan in uh, fine dining restaurants. And at some point I decided to switch the gear and try something different. Uh, came across a startup called uh, Delaney Barbecue in Brooklyn. And so it was uh, kind of funny, a Chinese shipping container with a Texas cooker in it and Bedside Brooklyn across from the uh, old Marcy project where Jay-Z grew up. Um, so it's a pretty interesting place to work. Kind of fell in love with it immediately. It's so romantic, you know, cooking outside and, the, and uh, you know, barbecue. And it was, it was a really, uh, I think for me, a great experience to, to see the, you know, different way of cooking, different way of approaching the, the profession. Did you have a lot of experience cooking or eating Texas barbecue prior to no, starting that? No, not at all. Um, I had no idea. And um, when I saw the, uh, I was reading about an eater, you know, and I tasted it and it was amazing. I never had anything like it. I wanted to learn immediately. Using all wood back then? All wood, yeah. It was a Texas cooker offset, just, you know, similar to, to John or, you know, whatever other cookers are out there. Um, all wood and just brought in oak from, from Connecticut and we just barbecued and it went over pretty well. It was about two, three years and then um, saw that John was opening a spot up in Charleston, South Carolina. I'm, I'm from South Carolina originally. And so uh, I decided to come back home and, and uh, gave John a call and we cut together a couple times and worked out pretty good. So that brings us to where we are now. Uh, John, you had a storied career in Texas, very well-known pitmaster for you know, the techniques that you popularized that, that are now so prevalent in Texas barbecue. What made you decide to make the change of, you know, you, you're from Texas, you'd come back to Texas because you miss Texas. What made you decide Charleston was the place you wanted to be? Um, a little bit of what you were just talking about. Um, all of a sudden I found, I saw myself with lots of competitors there, all making my same product pretty much. And I, was, I wanted to get out. <laughs> Um, that hasn't changed, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> There's just even more of them now. Right. Um, and I did an event here in Charleston with Rodney Scott. It, uh, the Brown Water Society uh, held it here, and it was called the uh, South Carolina Texas Barbecue Invitational. Hmm. And Rodney Scott did the hog and pork stuff, and I did all the beef stuff at it. And while I was here, I also got to see the town. And as you've seen, it's an amazing place. It's a lot of fun. The food scene is awesome here. Yeah. Um, something that's nice about the food scene here is you get like a lot of national recognition for doing anything here. So that was a bonus. Um, I think I was starting to get a little tired of Austin and it's been turning into a big city. And yeah. I like the feel of this. This feels like Austin to me maybe 20 years ago. Your, your, um, your, your location, Absolutely, it could be literally picked up out of Austin and dropped here. We try to recreate that feel here so that we would be a little bit different. Um, it's got a big outdoor area, huge live oak tree. Um, the design of the space, we also try to make the smokehouse is right out front. You're eating at picnic tables if you're outside, right next to it. And when you're in the inside, there's glass, um, big glass windows around our sausage smokehouse so you can see us doing that. I want people to see, a little bit of the action, you know, because it makes it a little bit more fun. I know whenever I go to a barbecue joint, I always try to sneak around back and see what they're cooking on and <laughs> yeah. how they're doing everything. And so we bring everyone through on pit tours here. It's a, it's about, I don't know, kind of like a 
making the Disneyland of barbecue. Yeah. Well, and, you, and you get to expose a whole region that has not had the, that Texas, Texas experience to, you know, Central right. Texas, classic Central Texas. So at barbecue. that event that I did with Rodney Scott, um, I think it was people's first time ever trying either first time or second time, and they thought they hated brisket. <laughs> it was their second time that they'd taste it, and people were freaking out. Um, I'm sure, you know, just like in Texas, when you hand the first bite to someone that's never had it, yeah. it was like 500 people all in a row getting that response on them, and you start thinking, well, maybe this is a place to come do something. Um, I'm sure, as you know now, there's probably like more barbecue joints than there are Starbucks or something like that. It's on Feels every like single it, yeah. corner. Yeah. And, um, at that time, there wasn't too much going on, much how Austin used to be. You'd have to go outside the city to find it. Right. Here, there wasn't too much going on. Um, so that seemed like a good fit. Now, um, we got a bunch going on here. Uh, we share a back wall with Home Team Barbecue, some of our good friends, and then just about five blocks away, Rodney Scott opened his place too, which ma makes it great for people doing a barbecue tour because you can hit all three spots. So, in and there's, and there's variation in all three. So, mm -hmm. you know, kind of to your point, what, what Austin and a lot of Texas has become is a lot of very similar barbecue. Um, people are trying to expand out now and trying to, to yeah. change up, but here you've got three very different styles of barbecue all in the same location, which is great. Um, as you opened up here, how was it introducing other people to brisket and especially to sausage that is not very common out here to have this style of sausage? Um, it was super easy introducing them to brisket because the first thing that happens when you walk in the doors is um, you're greeted by a meat cutter. That's your first stop and they hand you a piece of beef to put in your mouth and then you're sold after that so it's been pretty easy um and the sausage uh i don't know that's all that unusual it's pretty close to like what the rest of the country calls a hot link um maybe a little bit different i don't know what would you say how it's different i don't know i, I would say mo the biggest thing for me with your hot guts and and if you've never had John Lewis hot guts before it's a very unique bite and it has that classic Texas feel but there's something very unique to the flavor profile of it and the coarseness of the meat that you don't get in some commercial sausages mm. where you get that tight pack and that tight bind on the on the grind and so to us like when I've introduced people not from Texas to to all beef or coarse sausage it kind of they kind of have a oh this is different from what I've been eating because they might have been eating you know Eckridge Farm for yeah. 20 years and a lot of barbecue joints use that Yes, oh, absolutely. And, stuff. and a lot of them, yes. or it could come from someone else, but there was a lot, of, and this was a big thing for me when we started La Barbecue, I wanted to make our own sausage in-house because in Austin, no one was doing it. Um, really, I can't remember anyone that was doing it. Um, I know there was one person saying they were doing it, but they weren't actually doing it. <laughs> Or they was their recipe or whatever. Yeah, we, air quotes yeah, they, right now. Yeah, well, um, that's a very common made phrase. To our made to our is, recipe. Is a very, yes, yes, yeah. a very common thing that we hear these days. And it would be funny because a lot of barbecue joints have that same recipe. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, that's made. It's, to it's that. chosen from a list of recipes, <laughs> uh, which happens to be a brand of sausage. Um, the thing that people didn't get was why it was called hot guts, and I think that kind of grossed people out a little bit. So yeah. we explained to them, yeah. but we haven't changed the name. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and we, we, you can see the sausage smoker right at the front of the building and on the outside it says uh, hot guts served here on it. And that's a custom smoker you built as well? It is, yeah. As you, as you came up with your, your sausage recipe back in Austin, did you have experience in that? How did you, how did you get into sausage making? Um, there's a, a book called Charcuterie, which I would highly, highly recommend anyone get. You can get it on Amazon. Um, while I was in Denver, one of my best friends lived uh, just a couple blocks from me, and we were nerding out on all the charcuterie stuff, and we started at the beginning of the book, 
and cooked all the way through the end of the book in the course of a year. So I don't know, I don't know. It gave me a good foundation from where to start with. And then um, on trips back to Austin when I was living in Denver, I would always, um, they started selling Myers Elgin sausage and uh, what's the other one down there? Southside. Southside, Southside and HEBs. So I'd always bring a couple pack, freeze them, bring a couple packs back and then go back home and try to emulate that. And felt like I got it there and then decided, well, I wanted to put a little bit more of a twist on it. So, so bind is one thing. Uh, the grind is one thing, mm -hmm. and then then getting the right snap in the casings is mm -hmm. another. Did that did that come fairly easy, or was there more trial and error with that? Trial and error. Mm -hmm. Well, first of all, there's not really a school you can go to to learn barbecue. So there is now. Uh, <laughs> a, yeah, A and M has it's called creative sausage making. Oh, uh, there the you go. Course. I went I went last year, um, and we were trying we were doing sausage. I would still say trying to do sausage. We were doing sausage before that, and, and after the class, it, it really did step it up quite yeah. a bit. Um, a lot of talks with Greg Mueller as well. Um, Greg said hi, by the way. Awesome. Um, so so learning it. that um, and getting the right casings and cooking them to the right way um, just really elevated it. Yeah. Phil, did you have any experience with sausage making at Delaney, or did that not start for you until you came to Lewis? Uh, sausage making was, you know, kind of part of the what you do at, at most fine dining restaurants. There's always some aspect of sausage making. So there's, you know, I've Familiar with several techniques. Um, you should talk about the reason why it is. Right. Well, so and at barbecue joints, why it is. Yeah. You know, at Delaney, we didn't. We didn't. There wasn't a sausage program when I when I was there, but started one because there was so much trim, and it was such a shame to see it going to the garbage can. And so we developed a hot gut recipe, um, just based off what we could find on the internet, really, and kind of just YouTube around and figure it out. Um, it was mostly just kind of a paprika, garlic, salt, pepper, really simple, straight up uh, sausage. And, uh, you know, I, I think it's just kind of crazy to not do it in a barbecue restaurant. If you're doing brisket, you're going to have trim. Well, and, and, and probably a lot to John's John's teachings and, and what he's doing, there's a, there's a much more aggressive brisket trim these days than mm -hmm. what there was way in the past. Oh, yeah. And so you do have more trim and brisket has gone up in price. So it's a, even more of a cost that you're having to try to deal with. So right. it makes total sense for anybody to do yeah, absolutely. that. And there's also a lot more fat that gets trimmed off now too. Because if you're buying prime brisket, I wish I had never ever said at La Barbecue that we were using prime brisket because <laughs> I remember asking Daniel Vaughn and Patricia Sharp when they were over there, do you know any other barbecue joint in Texas that's using prime brisket? And they said no. They said there's some steakhouse that's making a burger out of it in Dallas. And I wish I had never, ever said anything about prime brisket because it, shortly after that, every barbecue, they can't go anywhere in Texas now right. that's not using prime brisket. Right. And, and Wagyu. Uh, there yeah. are barbecue joints and using the Wagyu brisket. driving the price up on it. And, um, yeah, I mean, well, it's getting harder to, when there's that many more people trying to use it. It's yeah. supply The good and thing is, uh, we love certified Angus beef. And um, they give us a lot of reports on everything that's happening. But... Uh, amount of beef that's grading out as, as prime now is it just keeps going with the right, demand too right. so whatever their what do you call that not farming practices raising practices yeah, I don't know somehow they figured out how to do that yeah, they're getting better at it the, and, the ranchers shout out to CAB uh, both at barbecue camp and brisket camp and in other brisket flights that we've had CAB is usually the winner mm -hmm. um, Wait, I others. love it yeah. Yeah, I would it, take that over anything else I've ever tried so far so you guys recently started opening seven days a week here at Lewis Barbecue. Yeah. So 
How, how has that been as far as transitioning to now? You, you know, you had the one day of semi-rest, even though there was pit cleaning and getting ready for the week going on then. But how's been, has there been a transition period for, for going to 24-7 cooking and serving? Uh, well, we, uh, we actually had a team here on the Mondays that we were closed anyway. So there wasn't a lot more that we needed to do to open that, that seventh day. Right. So really what we, we do is bring in some front of house staff and we were ready to go. And, and do have one more brisket cook. So transitioning to it was actually pretty easy. Um, our brisket production is 48 hours from the time it, you start eating it. So we're already, we were taking a day off, we were in here cooking anyways. Um, the biggest thing is when we first opened, we were closed two days a week. Yes. Was it? And um, when you start a restaurant and there's only a handful of you that know, there was two of us that knew what we were doing. <laughs> and we had a staff of 55 people. And wow. I'm sure you're aware, it takes more than a week to train people how to do stuff. Not just on the cooking part, um, the front of house stuff and everything, um, but especially the cooking part. And it, it takes, it's, I'd say a solid year. Oh, yeah. Before someone like starts getting good enough to where you can kind of leave them alone and trust them. And, and especially where you're at, you didn't have 50 other Texas barbecue joints where yeah. you could say, oh, right. well, this person worked at this Texas joint. Yeah. They have some foundation. I'm, I'm sure a lot of people We actually didn't. prefer that. We, we don't like hiring no, people that have ever no worked at a barbecue experience. joint before. Um, yeah. What you end up is with people that want to do it their own way or start changing things without you knowing, mm. or they've already been brainwashed by some other place and think that's the way to do it. And we prefer to brainwash them ourselves <laughs> to what we want. Um, it seems like, like learning when to pull the briskets is probably the, the most complicated thing for somebody to learn. Um, That's a big feel thing, yeah. So let's talk a little bit about, you've been on record many times of saying that the, the pit is very important and you've built your pits specifically designed to cook the meat the way you feel it should properly be cooked. Tell us a little bit about what, what, what the importance is of airflow to you and, and kind of your philosophy on it without giving away any trade secrets. Um. I think it's really, really important the amount of draft that's going through the cooker. Um, something you'll notice with uh, Austin, and we, my father and I started a business where we started making the cookers. Um, it's called Austin Smokeworks. Uh, and my father was retired from IBM and then started helping me just because I needed a helper and then took it over when I moved to Charleston and now he's retired again because it's incredibly hard work. <laughs> But our buddy uh, Jimbo, Jim Glass, um, is continuing with Austin Smokeworks out at his, his Cato Ranch where we made him. Um, so look him up, austinsmokeworks.com. You can still get a pit from him. Um, and it is different than we've got a lot of imitators out there now. It's very hard to see any barbecue joint without the square firebox and then the giant uh, elbow on the smokestack end and a reducer going down to it too. Um, but there. There is a lot of differences between the ones we do. Um, I don't know what I could say without giving away what it is. Well, what, what There's is a lot that goes in on between the firebox and the cook chamber and then at the other end between the cook chamber and the smokestack that's not maybe just what it looks like on the outside. And what does the draft do to the brisket? Um, I mean, what, for us, I mean, it's we gonna, know it's important. It's going to set the bark up right at the beginning and then um, if you got a really, really strong draft going through there, um, it's going to give you more control of, I don't know, how, how would you explain it, Phil? Well, the, it, your range it, of control is so it much helps, more. It definitely c 
creates a much more even cooking environment, right? Because you're, the, the airflow is bringing it down to the meat instead of popping up over the yeah. top. And so we're able to rotate less and, and really focus on um, tending great fires, clean fires. I'm sure that aids in consistency of cooks from Absolutely. day to day and yeah. hour to hour. So. And less, also, less finicky around with the doors and dampers. You know, we, we have a very, we have a scheduled process of, of opening, closing dampers and, and controlling fire and temperature over time to, to have consistency. Um, and that draft also creates the design of the pit. You wouldn't see it on the outside. It looks like the pit is a certain way on the outside, but if you got in there and looked at it, it's actually different on the inside. Um, it's designed to get com natural convection going through it, and you'll see it on the smokestacks um, when the damper's all the way open. It looks like a tornado coming out. It's just swirling, and it does that all the way through there, which um, is like what Philip said, evenly cooks it, you know, from a convection oven, maybe at your house or something, rather than a conventional oven. Um, you're gonna get, if you put cookies in them, you know, you get it even all the way around instead, instead of like brown on one side and you know raw on the other side kind of deal. Gotcha. Well, yes, the, obviously you're, your methodology about cooking, your sourcing of meats, everything that, that you've been doing from pretty much day one when you got started in commercial barbecue has become popularized, has become almost in Texas, almost homogenized in a way um, to where we kind of miss some of the variants in barbecue at this point. Um, but there, there's no doubt that you were at the forefront of that. And for us selfish people that like eating good barbecue, thank you. <laughs> it, for, for those that thinks it sucks that you're secrets were kind of out there sorry <laughs> but uh it's, it, it elevated it, barbecue i it, mean there it, was definitely yeah. that big jump that happened and for a long time there was very very few people at that level um, and now there's a lot more that are doing similar to that you know the the spacing used to be very wide yeah it's gotten closer over time mm -hmm. and it's because people are oh i need to use this source and i need to use this and i need to use this um, but it's good for the consumer um, and it and it allows us to go eat closer um, but we still love coming here i mean this is great you know i got made fun of at la barbecue when we started a sandwich and i put pickled red onions on it <laughs> no one else was doing putting pickled. i didn't invent pickled red onions but we put it on a sandwich and publicly online i was getting made fun of for putting wow. pickled red onions on it and now if you look at a tray of barbecue it's everywhere anywhere it's in every North tray. America, oh, Canada, yeah. anywhere. There's pickle red onions on every tray yes, of barbecue. And house-made pickles, which is, is just everywhere. I mean, all of those things now you see um, just continuing to, like you said, I mean, homogenize may be a good word for it, um, which is which is good and bad because we like, we like variety as well. Um, we know you brought in kind of sort of from your El Paso roots, the, the hatch chilies in the corn pudding, and so that was nice to have out here as well. And I know you do a Tex-Mex night here at the restaurant. Oh, uh, is it yeah. every Tuesday? Every uh, Monday night. Every Monday night. Okay. Yeah. Every Monday night, Tex-Mex night. So if you're if you're a Texas transplant and living in Charleston and listening to this, I, number one, I don't know how you haven't been here by now. But number two, if you haven't been here by now and you're looking for some Tex-Mex, go see John, go see Lewis Barbecue, go see Philip, get a get a pit room tour if they're if they're. Yeah, able we're to always giving pit room tours. Awesome. If you come in, just ask the manager, and we'll take you through. There you go, and it's a little slice of Texas here in Charleston. Um, we thank you guys for the time and for oh wait oh yes we talk about one thing when yes, you do sure. come here you're not going to be waiting for hours no we no. have designed this place completely different and we don't sell out either yes and that's it's amazing the, the volume of barbecue you guys do seven days a week open 11 a.m all the way up until 10 p.m. 10 p.m every night 
which is incredible. And we were here, the last time we were here was at 8.30 at night, and the barbecue was just as incredible just as, as when good. we had it today. And, and we're always nervous when you're coming at an off time like that. And it was it was just as good as it would have been at lunch. We've got multiple yeah. cutting stations, multiple yeah. registers and stuff. The line moves real fast. It might look long, but you won't be in it for more than 20 minutes at the very most. There you go. No camping out, no cleaning your whole day around it. Just come in and get great barbecue. All right, gentlemen, thank you. Well, thank, thank you very much. much. Appreciate it. Thanks again to John Lewis, Philip Powers, and the whole crew at Lewis Barbecue in Charleston. We really enjoyed sitting down and talking with them. And John was kind enough to give us some of his Hatch Green Chili Barbecue Sauce to give away to a listener. So if you'd like to enter to win, head over to our Instagram at Tales from the Pits and check out our post about Lewis Barbecue. As always, we appreciate you listening and encourage you to follow us on social media. And you can email us at talesfromthepits at gmail.com if you have any show or barbecue questions. And of course, you should be following at Lewis Barbecue on all social media platforms as well. If you enjoy our show, we ask that you subscribe and rate us on your favorite podcast listening app. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk with you next time.